thankful for all of you being here. I am the Reverend Matthew Ryan Gonzalez from Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in the Bronx. Um, and I am here, and it is good to be here. A little bit about me. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about who I am before we dive in. We only have half an hour, so don't worry. This about me won't go too long. First of all, that's me and my wife. I am married to a wonderful woman named Catherine Gonzalez, Katie for short, um, and she's the best thing that has ever happened to me. I love her deeply and dearly, and she's my BFF. So um, that is a photo of us at a recent wedding. Yes, those are Batman suspenders. I have no shame in that, so I'm just letting you know, okay? Uh, these are our two children. My son is still learning to smile. Yes, he does have top teeth, but he's practicing. Um, and so that's Aaron. He is my uh, soon-to-be two-year-old. And uh, on the left is... Uh, yeah, this is your left. This is good. On um, your left is Phoebe, our four, soon to be 25, I mean five-year-old. And uh, they are wonderful children. We really love them. They are being raised, yes, they are being raised well as Yankee fans for sure. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, we really treasure them. And, and um, yeah, they're really great. Um, I am a Yankees, Knicks, Rangers, and Giants fan. Um, so for those of you who are like, of course you're a Yankees fan, you're a front runner. If you look at those other teams, you know that's not true. Um, but uh, but I, that's, uh, I love sports. I enjoy uh, playing them. I enjoy watching them. So that's, that's that. I am the pastor of Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church, again, in the Bronx, New York. And that is a photo of uh, our sanctuary on Easter Sunday with an Instagram filter. Isn't it beautiful? Um, uh, we really love it. And, uh, and it is, it is really a beautiful place to serve. Um, and it is, uh, looks like the inside of Noah's Ark, even though I don't know what that looks like. It is beautiful in every way. And, and uh, we really love it there. I've been there since 2011. Uh, it's my first call. Um, God has kept me there and continues to have me serving there. And I say that with, uh, great joy in my heart because I don't plan on going anywhere. I really, my wife and I really love it. We love our family of faith. And here they are. This is uh, pictures of our ministry. In the middle is the 2016 National Youth Gathering with a number of our youth. And a number of them are here and a number of them are all grown up, but they are, uh, they're great kids. And then around are, are different things that we do, concerts and worship and just pictures on a Sunday morning when everybody's irking me because half the people didn't show up to church. So I, I do that from time to time. I'm like, y'all don't want to show up. We're taking a photo today. I'm going to put up and say, so thankful for those who came today. That's right. I do. That's right. I throw shade like that and I don't feel bad about it. Um, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, really, really, uh, great opportunity. And, um, thankfully by God's grace and through his work in us, we're able to reflect our community. Um, we are a mosaic of, of people, um, and we're really thankful for that. Um, we are probably about 50% Hispanic, and I hate that term because then I have to break that down, like how many Dominicans, how many Puerto Ricans, how many like other types of Hispanic, uh, you know, Venezuelans and Ecuadorians, and so I don't like to play that game, but we'll just say 50% Hispanic. Um, we are, and then... Um, probably about 15% black. And I use that terminology because it applies across African-American, African directly, uh, uh, Caribbean Islander, those kind of things. Um, uh, you know, all different descendants in that way. Um, and then we have um, 
actually a very strong Guyanese population. Those of you who are unfamiliar with uh, Guyana, it is a country in South America. And um, if you look at the people and try to judge them just based on the way they look, which none of us do, um, you would think they are Indian, of Indian, like from India, not Native American, but Indian descent. But they are not. Um, they are from South America, and they speak um, English. That's They were colonized by um, uh, the English, and so they speak English, actually really solely. Um, some speak Spanish because they're in South America and they pick it up. Uh, and some speak Portuguese because they're near enough to Brazil. But besides that, um, that's really the makeup. And then we have about... We're about 3% Caucasian. Uh, my wife, my two children make up, uh, my wife is 1%. My two children make up a percent. And then we have one other elderly woman who's been there um, long before my time. And, and she's, a, she's a wonderful person, I can say that. Um, she's the oldest member. She reminds me of that constantly. She's the most tenured member. She reminds me of that constantly. Um, uh, um, and she is, she is a very honest member. I'll say it that way. She has no problem uh, telling me exactly what she's thinking at all times. Um, and I'll tell you a story to start our conversation about this, okay? So, first, before we get into the text from Revelation, let me tell you a story about that wonderful, wonderful uh, member of our congregation. I won't use her name, even though if I told you her that I told you the story, she'd be like, and? Um, uh, so, my first time there, uh, this is year one of ministry for me. So 2011, before I'm married, before my wife has moved to the Bronx, uh, you know, before she's my wife, um, we're having a conversation and it had been about six or seven months in. I was, it was a church in need of revitalization and God was really gracious to me. The membership there was like, pastor, we don't know what to do. We don't have anybody anywhere. We trust you do anything. And I was like, okay, I'm 26. I don't know what I'm doing. Let's get crazy. And so that's what we did. Uh, uh, we did that. And um, God was really gracious. And people started coming in in different ways. And, and God grew his own church. And, and I'm really thankful to be used by him in any way possible. But as he did that, the church reflected the community. Because that's what churches should reflect, uh, I would think at least. That's in my experience, right? And so um, that's what happened. And so about seven months in, she says, can we have lunch? I said, of course, I would love to have lunch with you. Sometimes pastors say that, but they're lying, and so forgive us, please, okay? I'm just telling you. I didn't want to necessarily have lunch with her, but I'm her pastor, and I need to get out of my own sinful way and let the Spirit do his work. And I said, yes, we need to have lunch, right? And I want you to know I'm a sinner. So when I say things, and it's like, man, he's kind of, I hear him saying evil things. Yes, that's right. I need Jesus. That's why I'm a pastor. Any pastor who tells you that they are there because they want to bring Jesus to you only, you should leave that church because obviously they don't think they need him. I'm telling you, I need Jesus. I desperately need him. That's why I got into this gig. The ability to share him is just a gift, okay? So I'm there with this woman and we're sitting at lunch and we're talking and she says to me, you know, pastor, you're doing some great work. And I, I you know, when somebody starts a sentence like that, you could feel, you could feel the butt coming, right? You know, it's like being in a club and you don't want to dance next to somebody and they, you could feel the butt coming, right? Okay. And, and, and you know what I'm saying, right? And, and, and so, and so I was like, okay. And she says, you know, pastor, it's just, it's, it's so, it's so great to, to see people in church and, and to see people starting to come. That's just, it's really wonderful. I said, I think so too. It's, you could see it's God's work. You know, I'm throwing the Lord in now. I'm like, that's only God, right? Okay. And she says, well, 
but, and I was like, here it comes, here we go. She says, but I just have one question. I said, please. And she said, Pastor, where are all the white people? Right? She wasn't joking, dead serious face. And so I thought to myself, I, I took a breath, and I thought, you know, of course, you ever have those moments in your life where everything hits slow-mo, right? Where like when you watch a slow-mo video online, you think, I've had moments where my brain that happens. Well, that happened to me right there. And I, I, I honestly believe, okay? And, and yes, I'm a Lutheran, but I believe that, you know, the spirit works. Uh, let me stop. I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, and, and, and so in that moment, right, I, I believe the Holy Spirit just went to work and slowed time down because I had like 9,000 thoughts of things that I wanted to say, but God was like, no, 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 no. Like, it was like, it was like Holy Spirit alert, stop, okay? And I thought of so many different things to say, and God just kept telling me no. And then one popped in my head, and it was like, bing, that's the one, right? And so I thought, and I said, you know, I said, I'm not sure, but I guarantee you this, there are white people coming. She said, hmm, how do you know? And I said, because I'm marrying one in five months. <laughs> I said, so we're going to bring one five months from now. I said, and I can promise you this. After that, over those next few years, we're going to bring them a half at a time. <laughs> and lo and behold, eight years in, we got two now. Right? My wife and my two kids make two. And that's not, that's not necessarily true. We've actually, uh, we've, we've, now when I say I give you our membership percentages, that's not necessarily who's sitting there on a Sunday. Uh, we have people walk in sometimes. We have people who come around. We have people recently, oh, we have people recently who, um, who have come in, uh, uh, just moved to the Bronx. There's a lot of, um, um, I don't know, everybody know the term gentrification? You know that terminology? Yeah. There's a lot of gentrification happening in New York City. Started in Brooklyn. Uh, you know, it's one of those, gentrification for me is like started from the bottom, now we're here, right? Because they started in Brooklyn and they started moving up. And then Queens and the Bronx, the Bronx is the borough at the top. Anybody tells you anything different? That's because they're not from there. But the Bronx is the borough at the top. And if all the boroughs of New York City decided to sink into the ocean, guess who's standing? The Bronx. Because we're on the mainland, okay? So, uh, um, so the Bronx is kind of the final frontier for gentrification, and it's slowly happening there, but that's how it always starts, slowly, and then it goes whoosh, right, okay? But thankfully, the city has responded and said, well, we don't just want to kick out the people that are living there, and so we're being thoughtful about how that looks. At the same time, you don't know who's going to come in on a Sunday. And what I'm very thankful for, being at Trinity in the Bronx, is that they're okay with it. They're okay with how it looks on a Sunday. They're okay with... with the, the beauty of it. They're okay with, with um, you know, uh, God's grace with it all. They're okay with all of it. They're okay with how God works. Um, they're okay with whoever walking in. We've had all different uh, kinds and all different situations and all different, uh, uh, um, um, yeah, I could tell stories. It's, that's not what this is about, so I'm not going to do that. But um, God is really, really good in, in, in the lives of those people in that I think they got enough stuff to worry about that who's walking in the door isn't what they're worried about. They got enough life to worry about and struggles to worry about and, and difficulties and challenges and deep needs for Christ to worry about that who's coming in, sitting next to them or near them or around them. That's like the, 
that's that's low on the list of priority of what I'm worried about. And I and we've been really blessed through that because then they welcome people. When people come into our congregation, you are a part of our family of faith. That's the way we say it. Because if we're going to take seriously scripture when it says we are to be brothers and sisters in Christ, then we need to be family. And what that means is that we need to do two, a couple things in being family. One, we need to listen to the needs of our brothers and sisters. Two, we need to be serious about calling them brothers and sisters. And three, even if you don't like them, you got to love them. See, that's what it means to be a brother or sister, right? Because when you have your brother or sister growing up, like my brother caught an elbow drop from the top rope for once in a while, right? But I love him, you know, and sometimes he irked my soul. He's calling me right now knowing I have a presentation. This is my brother calling <laughs> I'm in the middle of presentation. Do not call me, right? Okay. And I, and we didn't even plan that. God is good, okay? But um, but even as much as I love, as much as, you know, my brother can, we can go at it, I love him. And thankfully, God has raised us in a way that we never let the stuff that we go at it linger. You know, you don't let the sun go down on your anger. It says that somewhere in scripture. Um, and so... God takes that uh, serious, uh, or, well, of course, we take it serious in that way uh, by God's grace. Um, and that's why we have to look at Scripture. We have to take it seriously. And so why is this Revelation text in front of you? Well, because Scripture is really clear here. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And when you read this passage, I think a lot of times we get focused on the crying out with a loud voice. And that's a good thing to be focused on. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. But remember who's crying it out. From every nation, from all tribes, and peoples, and languages. And what that means is that around the throne... Everybody to your left and to your right, and I don't mean in this room, I mean like the throne, is going to look different. And the only thing, the one thing, the guaranteed thing that's going to be unifying and uniting is Jesus. The throne is that which unites. The throne is that which brings together and keeps together and holds together. Everything else, throw it away. And scripture talks about that too. Honestly, that's really what death is. Death is God taking out the trash. And instead, what he does is he raises up salvation. And he lifts us to it. I don't know about you, but when I think about that, I say, well, then what can we do? Well, what we can do is be serious about being the church as God has ordained it and consecrated it and shown what it is to be. Right? As God has revealed it to us just as he revealed it to John in the Revelation. This is the church. And if we're going to take that seriously, then those three things up top, we have to recognize two of those fall under one of them. And if you're thinking ethnicity and faith falls under race, no, okay? Uh, underneath faith fall at race and ethnicity. Those things are a part of faithful conversation. If you're not willing to talk about them, you're not willing to be faithful. Because the truth is, the word is talking about them, right? Every nation, all tribes. Now, some people say, what you mean tribes? Read your Bible, uh, Old Testament, right? Okay. All tribes and peoples and languages, okay? 
And you can focus on the languages. My wife loves to because she speaks three of them and she likes to put me to shame. She speaks Spanish better than me even though her last name is only Gonzalez because she married me, right? Okay. And that's fine. And some people like to focus on tribes and some nation and we get this international, woo, we are the world, right? And I love that. I love that song too. But for me, it's about this because these are the people sitting in your pews on a Sunday. It's your people, right? The peoples. And that's really the church. And race and ethnicity are part of being peoples. And you know, I struggle with this. I struggle with God's grammar here, okay? Now, here's what I mean. I know you're going to say, that's not even the way God wrote. He wrote in Greek. I got it. I got it. I got it. Okay, I get it. I get it, right? God worked in German. (laughs) That's right. That's right. (laughs) That was good. I got to write that down. Um, But if we look to the English here, They use the word peoples, right? And I've always thought, why do they use that? Isn't people plural, right? Person is singular. People is plural. What's this? And the more I think about it, the more I say it's because people can be different. You can have groups of people be different. And so these are the peoples coming together and being the church. And so if you look at it that way and understand scripture that way, then underneath faith, race, and ethnicity fall because faith means peoples, right? More than one group of people that make up this, the vision of the church. And that means we need to be talking about it. Because I want you to look to your left and your right. Let's be realistic here. Let's be real. If we were playing Where's Waldo with the people of color, you're going to win, right? That's just the truth. It's just the reality. And I'm already standing outside of the group, so it's even easier, right? Okay. The truth is that if we're going to be peoples and we're going to be honest about what it means to be, we have to be having this conversation because we want Where's Waldo to be difficult. We want to make the game tougher. Tougher on Satan. Because that's the one who thinks the church has to look one way, and it's not this way, okay? If anybody tells you anything different, if anybody tells you, oh, this is just people of color trying to rabble-rouse again, that is the devil lying to you, and in the name of Jesus, I cast out that demon right now, okay? I'm telling you, don't let the father of lies lie to you. Don't let the father of lies lie to your young people. Don't let the father of lies lie to the church, Because we have to be who God calls us to be. We have to be the church. And if we're going to do that for real, that means that we have to talk about this stuff. It's uncomfortable. You think I want to stand up here and have this conversation? I have a white wife. She and I talk about it all the time, right? And And sometimes she brings it up and I'm like, sweetheart, please. She's a better advocate than me. They should add her present. I'm serious because, you know, sometimes I get to the mindset. See, my dad taught me one thing when I was growing up. He used to say to me, Matthew, your last name is Gonzalez. I used to say, thank you. And in my head, because I respect my father, but in my head, I said, Captain Obvious. Now, I didn't say that out loud because I knew the backhand was ready. But (laughs) but in my head, I was like, yeah, I know. And my dad used to say, because your last name is Gonzalez, that means that there are going to be times in your life where you have to work harder, where you have to be smarter, where you're going to have to push. And he said, you can't complain about it. And I was like, okay, dad. And little by little, as I got older, it worked. He was right. And I pushed harder and harder and harder. And now I'm thankful for it to him, especially because I say, dad, I never understood, but now I do. And so sometimes I think about the conversations about race and ethnicity. And I'm like, enough, man, everybody pick up your stuff and get to work. Stop complaining. 
And then my wonderful white wife. Now, I don't call her that all the time, but I think white... <laughs> I think white, white in the sense of covered in Christ's righteousness, okay? My wonderful robe of righteousness wife, okay? She, that's right. She comes back to me and she says, honey, if we're not talking about it, who's going to? If the church isn't going to be serious about this, who's going to? If we as people of faith are not going to say something is wrong when we're not willing to have conversations about problems in our country and problems in our society and uh, problems in our church, right? If we're not willing to have those conversations, who is going to? And I'm like, oh, honey, this is why I married you, right? Uh-huh. I, I realize more and more, if we're not willing to, nobody's going to. And so, you know, this was a tagline to get you here so we could have this conversation. But the truth is, why do we need to be talking about this? Because if we don't, who will? Who's going to help for us to live out who God calls us to be as the church if we're not going to do it? Do you think an atheist wants to do it? Do you think a non-believer who you want to minister to wants to do it? They're going to look at you and say, you can't even live your own truth. The truth that you say is the truth of the gospel and the truth of God. You think I think you're telling me the truth? Let's be realistic. A lot of people get mad about society. I don't get mad at society. I'm like, until we show that we believe what we say we believe, why would they believe it? Why do they, why do, why, why in the world should we expect somebody who doesn't believe to suddenly come to faith when they look at us and the mess that we are and we're not proclaiming to them, yeah, we're a mess and that's why we need Jesus, but we're also not proclaiming and that's why we desire to live as God calls us to live. If we're not taking it seriously, I don't expect them to take it seriously at all. And I don't expect them to stop calling us out. So we can get mad about it. We can pout about it. We can quit. Or we can serve. We can do what God calls us to do. And we can fight the good fight of faith, as the word says. Not with fist. Not with anger. Because we're not going to let the sun go down on that. So even if you are angry sometimes, I get it. Pray for God's spirit of healing because that's what I have to pray for when it happens. But instead, fighting the good fight of faith with the gospel, with the truth, with Jesus, right, with the cross. Because if we're not going to be aware and thoughtful and honest and having these conversations, then it's not going to get better. It's not going to be different it's not going to change. And scripture is very clear. There's only one thing that doesn't change, and it's God himself. But we need to be transformed. We need to be changing, ever-changing, in line with being imitators of Christ. Because that's what the word calls us to. Are you already having these conversations? And what do they look like? I want to hear from you. These conversations about race, ethnicity, and faith, are you having them? in your communities, in your churches, with your kids? Are you having them? How many of you would say in the last year you've had a conversation about this? Okay. Okay, good. This is good. Uh, hands up if those went well. Okay, that's good. That's a, Hey, listen. So I said this yesterday at our Mosaic event, and uh, if you want to stay for five extra minutes, I'll tell you about that at 3.30. But um, I said that those, you know, boy, I want to say this rightly. It's not necessarily about age. I know plenty of old people who really get it. 
and it's not necessarily about, uh, and sadly, we know young people who have been brainwashed the wrong way. And I use that word exactly the way I said it, brainwashed, okay? But um, I say that God, you know, uh, says that he's going to prune the dead from uh, the tree of life. And those who don't want to come along, they're just prunes, right? They're just not ready, but they need to be pruned because either they're going to have all of that dead weight from them cut off or God's going to cut them off. And that sounds harsh and intense. Like, man, you cutting them out of the church? Yes. If you're not willing to say that the body of believers is a mosaic where everyone looks different, then guess what? You are saying that this is a lie. And if this is a lie, you don't know Jesus. That's it. Please, if you look around the country and you don't think that race and ethnicity are things that are being talked about or are surrounding us in some way. Maybe it's not in your immediate community, but I guarantee you don't have to drive that far because I have family in Iowa, okay, uh, specifically Esterville, if you're from Iowa, okay. I have family in Esterville, Iowa, and we went to their farms. I had never been on a farm. I was floored. I was like, man, infrastructure of the country. This is crazy, right? Um, and, and on that farm, Oh, McDonald. No, let me stop. Uh, and, 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 and that's the song. You got it. Okay, anyway. Um, but, but on the farm, uh, as we walked through, what I realized was, you know, and had conversations with some family members, uh, um, extended through my wife, of course. Uh, um, that was a joke. Uh, anyway, because um, she's white. It's a joke, guys, okay? Uh, uh, anyway, um, no, no. Uh, but when we went out to the farm there, um, we talked a lot about how even in Iowa, where people would assume the community all looks the same, they said, no, no, it's changing a lot. You know, uh, my wife's cousin owns a large farm, and he said in the last two years, he's hired people of different ethnicities more so than anybody else. He said, ah, he's a, <laughs> he said it like this because he's very direct. He said, I haven't hired a white person in eight months. He was serious. He's like, I just haven't done it. He's like, they're, they're not looking for that, for the work I'm offering, and they're not around. And I said, boy, so you would say you have some diversity. He said, oh, yeah, all around here. And because I love him and it wasn't the time or the place, I didn't say, what's your church look like? Like, we didn't have that conversation. But, but I went to church with them on Sunday, and I saw what it looked like. Okay? And I'm not sure if they're not having the conversation yet. Or they don't care to, but the church does not reflect the community. He told me that. And we got to fix that. And you might say, well, God's the only one who can fix it. Amen. God is the only one. But thanks be to God, he says he works through his people. So that means he's working through you. And so if you resist it, then you are resisting the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but there's something in Scripture that says resisting the Holy Spirit is the unforgivable sin. So I'm not interested. And so let me say this. Everything I say is descriptive, not prescriptive. I'm not there. So I'm not going to try to begin to tell you, here's what you do, A, B, C, and it's going to work. Nope. What I will tell you is this. You start by uh, being open. You start by doing exactly what you're doing, recognizing what your community looks like, being honest about that conversation and saying, we need to look like that. That's the first thing. The second thing is you don't let the, the conversation of our nation be the conversation of the church. Because as far as I'm concerned, our national conversation doesn't exist. And what I mean by that is we don't know how to talk to each other anymore. 
you can't go up to somebody and say, hey, I disagree with you. They're like, bigot! Or other things. I was about to curse and God went, you know. Uh, You know, uh, that's what happens. You can't talk to anybody anymore. And so it's like, okay, well, that's the way the national conversation is going, but that's not the church. We have to be able to have conversations even when they're uncomfortable. We have to be able to say, hey, this is wrong, and, and, and be able to say it in a way that says, and that doesn't mean I hate you. Somewhere along the line of the last 20 years of history, saying something is wrong means, and you're a jerk, and you're evil, and you're this, that, and the third. And the truth is, that's not what it means. Wrong just means incorrect. Wrong means, as far as I'm concerned, especially in the life of the church, sin. Sin is anything outside of the design and desire of God. And what that means is, if God didn't design and desire it that way, hey, it's just not the way he called for it to be. And if we're the church, that's how we're called to live. So it doesn't mean that you're some kind of horrific, terrible person. If you stick to it, you'll become one. Because that's what sin does to you. But that's not what it means when we say you're incorrect. It means that God is calling you to come correct, to be transformed, to let him do his work. And so also I want to encourage you because I want to tell you about something you said there. Don't expect it to happen overnight. Okay? And don't expect it to just happen magically or by growth or whatever. Instead, I want you to view your churches and your congregations differently. What I mean by that is this. Every congregation is a congregation, a gathering, an assembly of people, right? Ecclesia, the church. But at the exact exact same time, it is a mission station. It is a mission outpost. And what I mean by that is just because people aren't inside your doors on a Sunday doesn't mean they can't be your people. You got to go out there and if somebody's having a rough time or you've heard of a rough situation or you know someone you can help, you go and you help, especially if they don't look like you, because what that communicates to the people who do look like them is these people care. And you do it without expecting a return on investment. You invest with your heart, you invest with your money, you invest with your time, and you don't expect a thing back. You don't even expect to feel good about it. I'm serious. Don't say, I'm going to do this because I get the fuzzies after. No. We're Lutheran. The fuzzies mean nothing, okay? (laughs) You go out there and you do it. Because it's who God has called you to be and what he has called you to do. And when you mess it up, because you will, when you mess, and I'm not saying that because I think you all are terrible people. I'm saying it because you're sinners like me. When you mess it up, because we will, guess what? There's this cool thing Jesus said. He said, ask for forgiveness. Go to the person and say, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't mean that. They might say, oh, see, you're not, you're not aware. You should have known better. You're right. I should have. That's why I need to learn from you. Be willing to learn. You're not just serving them. Let them serve you. If somebody in your community comes in and they're on equal footing with you in terms of their financial status or whatever the case may be, don't go out there thinking, hey, what can I offer you? Go to their door and say, hey, it's great you're here. Tell me about you. And when they have something to offer you, ask them about how. If you have somebody comes in, I'll give you an example, okay? We've had people of different ethnicities who are moving into our area who are really good at things like software development in the tech world, okay? I like tech. I'm not good at it. You can see by my slides. They're not that exciting, okay? And what I'm telling you is, is that 
If you go there and you say, hey, tell me about this. Can you teach me something? Can you show me something? I don't know about this. Recognize that they're bringing things to the table. And recognize that even if they're not on equal social footing with you, they're bringing things to the table, okay? Jesus taught through the poor and the rich, right? Jesus taught through people of different statuses in the way that he viewed or the way they were viewed. That's who he was and that's how he did. We need to continue to be imitators of Christ to learn from that and to be like that. And to do that, you have to have these conversations and you have to analyze them. I'm so glad, brother, that you said, well, some of them are great and some of them not so great because that means we're being reflective on those conversations. And when you do that, then you can start thinking, how do I continue to advance this? Because if my young people are willing to take hold of it and take it seriously and do all that, then guess what? Sounds like we need to encourage young people to start taking leadership positions. Young people to step up and do these things. Young people, and we have to push those who don't like it by faith. Don't get angry at them, okay? They're only staring at you that way because they're in love with you. That's what I told our Mosaic uh, uh, people yesterday, okay? They just don't know it yet. And you have to share Jesus with them because you love them too. So much so that you're not saying get out. You're saying I'm going to challenge you by faith. And if you're not willing to believe this, then maybe you don't believe any of this. Because you can't have some with Jesus. There's no such thing as buffet faith. You got the plated dinner. Salvation. But it comes with all the fixings. And it's all good for you. You either eat it. Or you say, no, thank you, and good luck. You're going to starve. That's a good metaphor to end on. Um, so, so that's why we need to be having this. Uh, uh, I'm going to have this brother and this sister right here, Brother Amos Gray and Sister Shakina Bodley, stand up for me because they're on our Mosaic team here at the gathering. If you don't know what this is about, then you should find these people. We have wristbands to give you if you're interested in continuing conversations like this, including the Mosaic Initiative here. And we'll tell you what it's about here at the gathering and how if you're interested in this conversation, then we need your information because we want to sign you up as partners in this. And after the gathering, pour into you resources for these conversations, pour into you how we can make an impact at the next gathering as it comes up pour into you how you can communicate, and this is the most important thing, how you can communicate to our church body that this is important to our church body. And I say that because if you don't say it, they're not going to believe it. Okay? You are the voice. You are the church. So go out and proclaim that. And if you're interested in having those conversations, Find us. Uh, I have about 10 more minutes to have another session with the young people. You're all young people. You know what I mean, uh, with the young people. And so if you want more information about that, find us. If you're interested, grab one of these. If you see somebody wearing these, that means they're a partner. If you see somebody wearing the blue one, that means they're a Mosaic congregation. Engage them in conversation. They would love to tell you about it, okay? Before you go, before you go, can I pray for you really quickly? Let me pray. Two seconds, two seconds, I promise. I know our CLBs are like, be quiet, be quiet. Hold on, CLBs. The Lord be with you. We pray. 
Gracious God, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for these incredible people who are nodding their head at the work of your spirit because they know that the time is ripe for your good will to be done. Dear Lord, lift them up, keep them in your care, Shout out and shout down and put to death Satan in those who stand in the way. And Lord, raise up Jesus in them so that all of this good work can be done and the church can look in the way that you have revealed. Please, Lord Jesus, do your good work. As we ask all this in your precious and holy name and bless these people. Amen. Amen.